Is this a party or what? This the big bad sound. Take it out. Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast, Link. Hope you're doing well. Today we're introducing a new and exciting potential series to Link. We're joined by Alexis once again to bring you a review of Candyman. And we wanted to give you a spoiler alert because we will be talking about the movie in depth. Today's Bahamian business is Bakehouse Bahamas at bakehouse.bs um, on Instagram. They have really good donuts, cookies, and they're like apparently really known for their um, coffees as well. So definitely go check them out on Instagram and they're located on Chesapeake Road in Nassau. Hey, Alexis. Hey, thank you all for having me back. How y'all doing? Yes, we're good. Back by popular demand. People loved your episode. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. That's that's great like Alicia said we're going to be doing a new format series on the podcast where we're reviewing movies that we watched so it's going to be pretty casual informal we're going to be talking about like the summary of the movie our thoughts initially and maybe go more in depth on like I don't know the metaphors and everything like that so like we said we're talking about Candyman which came out last month I think so Candyman is a supernatural slasher film. It was directed by Nia DaCosta and produced by Jordan Peele. It stars Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Tiana Paris, Coleman Domingo, and features Tony Todd, who played the original Candyman. Uh, This film is a sequel to the 1992 film of the same name, which stars Tony Todd, and is set 30 years after the events of the first film. Nia Costa actually is the first Black female director to open number one at the box office. So we love, we love that. I hadn't seen the original, uh, but true, I had seen true. all the promo leading up to it. And that got me excited because I was like, it was, the promo was a clip that actually was included in the final movie. And it's like a stop motion, like shadow puppeteer, like thing, puppeteer. Is that, I don't even know if that's a word, mm-hmm. but like, that is what got me interested. And then, I guess one of the main things was like I saw Jordan Peele was a part of it so I was like okay well this is gonna be good and then I saw that the director would also be a black woman so I'm like okay sold like I don't need to hear anything else I'm gonna go and usually I go into movies like not watching trailers or anything so and I'm not a huge scary movie person but this seemed worth it for sure. Yeah I didn't have any expectations I hadn't seen the original and the, the only like promo I saw for it was the the say my name video and that was like over twitter that was super cool um but aside from that i didn't really watch any trailers and i'm like the total opposite of celine i'm like doing so much research before i go see a movie especially any horror movie i gotta know like what's gonna happen but i actually didn't um you know look too much into it but i think also like you um seeing that jordan peele was a part of it i figured that it would be um really good and so i was excited to see it, even though i hadn't had any expectations or even known necessarily what the story even was yeah me too I like Jordan Peele's movies a lot and I think I hadn't seen a scary movie in the theaters for a long time so I was looking forward to that yeah so for the people who haven't watched the movie and you just want to listen and be included in the conversation just going to read a brief summary of Candyman 
For decades, the housing projects of Chicago's Cabrini Green were terrorized by a ghost story about a supernatural hook-handed killer. In present day, an artist begins to explore the macabre history of Candyman, not knowing it would unravel his, his sanity and unleash a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. Which is like, doesn't tell you at all anything about the movie, I feel like. No. It's... Nothing. Yeah, so I guess let's just get into it then. Well, it tells you that it's about Cabrini Green, which, I mean, that's really most of all you, what you need to know. Yeah, it's a project in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also having a little bit of context about the first movie makes everything kind of make sense because the first movie, the first movie is also set in Cabrini Green, um, which I think at the time was like being gentrified so 30 years later that gentrification process has developed and now like um neighborhoods in caprini green are either gentrified or just completely um abandoned and so that kind of like sets the scene for um the setting of it and also kind of makes the ending make a little bit more sense with that historical context of like the area itself definitely i feel like this is definitely a historical film it doesn't seem like one when you go into it but i guess you are kind of prepped for it because it opens at a flashback. It immediately sets the premise for this is going to be a story and a like plot rooted in the history. What were your initial thoughts on the movie? Um, so I actually really liked it. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting story. Um, like I said, I had never seen the original, so I really didn't know what to expect. But I thought it was a really interesting story. Um, and also the direction of it was also really interesting. The characters were interesting to me and I also just really love seeing like black people in film (laughs) and I know like there are these stereotypes about like um or these tropes where the black people are always like the first to die and they never really get to have a development and they never really get to to be um complex or like have anything more to them besides like their death which is usually always um shown on screen and so to have a movie where you actually don't um at least to my memory I don't remember that there were any scenes where you directly see a black person being well no that's not true for the focus to not necessarily be on um black death and to see throughout the movie that most of the victims were white even though I'm not trying to say like (laughs) yeah like not like that but like seeing that kind of reversal where the black people at least live to have a story even the ones that do die they at least you know um, we're at least able to to see their complexities and see their development so I think that was a really big thing for me too and also just like it was just cool and not too scary so I liked it (laughs) um so initially yeah I really enjoyed it as well after I left the theater I was like oh shit it's over already like that's it not that's it but like I thought it ended pretty abruptly but I think it's short yeah, but I think it did end in a good place because I think anything further kind of would have been like dragging it um, and anything longer. I think it didn't take long to build up. I think it was like the perfect amount to really get into like the scary business of a movie. Yeah, other than that, it was just really and it was really fun to watch. I think just seeing how beautiful Black people look on screen is always just a joy to watch. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed it. I love the I love the cinematography and I really like the relationships between all the characters and like how they allowed them to develop. Um, I also didn't think it was too scary. I thought it was going to be much scarier 
but I think it was like just the right amount and I think like um at the end I left with a lot of like questions and thoughts and it was very engaging and like I wanted to know wanted to know more and looking forward to hopefully a second like to a sequel um yeah I really loved it I really loved it something that um I just thought about as you were speaking just like about it not being so scary I think um Jordan Peele does this really cool thing and I know um obviously he he co-wrote it with other people and it's not just him but I think everything he touches has his like his fingerprint on it but I think he does this really cool thing where he almost like redefines what horror is and while there are really like gory moments in the movie the horror is not necessarily just the killing itself but just like the whole idea that this thing exists and the whole like the whole idea surrounding it so it just creates this this much larger scary thing and addresses it in a really cool way that I don't see in a lot of like slasher films or things like that like the 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 horror of it is very in your face and it's like okay yeah he's a murderer that's scary but when you take horror to mean something different like (laughs) racism or (laughs) like police brutality yeah gentrification and stuff yeah yeah, when you take it to to mean those things especially when they're based in like very real experiences it becomes scary in a much uh different way that is really cool to see play out in film yeah because a lot of the times when you leave jordan peele films it leaves you wondering like what am i scared of right now like why do i feel uneasy like what made me scared and the fact that the answer to that question is like racism police brutality it's like we're living with these little horrors in our lives every day but kind of like desensitized to them so to see them amped up on screen kind of leaves you feeling like you just watch like a slasher like very intense horror movie yeah I was also gonna say that I really (laughs) I really enjoyed the um social commentary of the movie I think it like it was there but I think it wasn't too in your face um like I, I I don't like when social commentary on like class and race in movies is like very very obvious and to the point where like you don't even have to do any like thinking like critical thinking about it um so I like that and I agree I think it like the social commentary really showed like the insidious horrors I guess yeah of like daily life even in like the opening scene with like the the police and how they had like that wide shot of the police in front of the building like that's scary we're gonna get to that but that was yeah yeah I also think that like um uh yeah I, I also think that like on the social commentary piece um, they do a really good job of like taking material from the original film. So like in the original film, gentrification is still a theme, right? But they expand on it. But they also do this really interesting thing where they not only address that issue, but in making Candyman a hive of people, of Black men, um, it kind of like draws your attention to like the systemic nature of it and how it's so cyclical and how it will always continue to happen. And you see this play out again and again. And it, it makes it so that it's not just this one little problem in this one neighborhood or this one person who is a murderer, but it's it's a history and it's a system and it's a cycle that it just continues and continues. And um, I think having that be the social commentary and having it be um, so relevant to the present day horrors, like one of you were saying, um, I think is a really, really cool play um, in this sequel and I think the last thing we say before we or like the last question I have before we get into like the plot of the movie 
I think a lot of the times when these films come out in the box office or just in general, there's that question of like people being like, oh, that's a black movie or which means it's only made for a certain amount of people or a certain group of people or like that's a black film. What do you think of that in relation to like this movie? Honestly, I I, I do think it's a black film. I, I don't like when movies are written off as a black film to mean that they're not um, they can't be like consumed by other people because that's really not the case. But I do think that um, coming to the movie as a black person, having an understanding of like the black experience, at least in America, you have a different relationship to the horrors that it depicts. So if you're not black and don't really have the same kind of like connection to it and can't relate to even the small things where it's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to, you know, like, yeah. I'm not going to say this person's name. I'm not, I don't want those problems. Like having that kind of like a uh, relationship to it and, and having that almost like cultural context of like, no, we don't chase. We don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> that doesn't happen over here. And, you know, in, in a lot of movies like a cabin in the woods or whatever, like they're, they're running to the threat and they're like, you know, trying to, 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 actively like either fight this thing or to address it or to call it out or to try to like you know be I don't I don't even know what that is but (laughs) I know that like uh, for a lot of black people that is not something that we do so seeing that in the movies where black people aren't summoning Candyman right like or at least in this film and so like having those kind of like little details and having those like pieces that are so relatable to the black viewer I think does you know are really significant and you can like I said you can still consume it and enjoy it without having that context you can kind of like like you can see it but I do think it is you know maybe not for black people but like you just get a a different experience if you are black I would I would think I get that and I think it's also the thing where it's like so what if it's for black people like yeah you can still go see it because I mean how many times do we sit in the movies where the entire cast is white and we're like we're meant to be relating to this that we have no idea about you know what I mean so if it's a black film good for them were there any scenes of black people being murdered in the movie at the end they don't show it they don't show it that's true cements it for me as being a black um I was going to say, though, that there is actually one uh, scene where, um, uh, what's her name? So so Tiana's character kills, uh, Brianna, that's her name. Brianna kills William Burke. She stabs him to death. Um, and that is uh, depicted on screen. And I wonder, and we don't necessarily have to get into this conversation, but I do Ooh. wonder what it means for the only death we see on screen to be Okay. What might be considered black on black crime, right? And I think it's a lot more complex than that. Obviously, you know, she had to kill him. Like it wasn't, you know, like it, it had to be done. But I think it might have been intentional that that is the only on-screen death of a black character that we see. And and what are the implications of that? And how how is that supposed to be uh, perceived by the audience? I definitely, and I think we should get into that because that means that the director and the people who are writing this script are aware of these like nuances and the ramifications of showing things and not showing things or like alluding to certain things happening and 
you're like as the like audience you're like assuming like okay that is what happened but you don't necessarily see it and I think that's a huge part of like the Candyman legend itself and I guess we can get into the whole concept of storytelling throughout the movie and how well it's done so the nature of storytelling in Candyman is so unique so like we were saying earlier it is set in this historical context and it opens with I guess what can be seen as like some a story that was told at some point and is told a, later down the line to um, the main character Anthony. We're privy to this initial like the origin story of William Burke before Anthony McCoy, the main character of the movie, even meets him. So the movie opens at a, at the Cabrini Green Projects, and they're looking for Sherman Fields, a man who police have accused of putting um, a razor blade in the candy of a white girl. You have So the scene is already set with like the police presence in these projects. William Burke, as a child, encounters Sherman Fields, who is known as the candy man because he used to hand out candy to everybody in the neighborhood. When William Burke goes down into the basement because he's doing laundry for his family, he sees him in the wall and like his instant reaction is, you know, to scream because why is this man in the wall and trying to hand me stuff? Like, what is this? Um, so he screams. And unfortunately, because the police saw him walk in there, the police respond by running in and they kill Sherman Fields. And then only to later realize that Sherman wasn't responsible for the razor blade and he was exonerated. But I mean, too little too late because he was killed. That is where the Candyman legend starts, because when I think right isn't that how it was where it's like it started there as like he was killed in that thing but they didn't know about the Helen Lyle thing right yes I think the 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 legend had kind of like gone dormant I guess you could say um and so and they brought it back yeah they brought the legend back um in that moment with um with uh, Sherman Woods Sherman Woods Sherman Fields Sherman Fields, yeah. So I think that that's what revived um, Candyman. And then also, I think it's at that point that um, William Burke's character, I think, uh, lost his sister or his sisters um, to Candyman. And there, I think it's implied that he witnessed um, death and turmoil because of the Candyman legend. And I think um, at the end, you obviously see that uh, you, you, William Burke's intentions are revealed but I think because of the amount of just like um tragedy that the legend brought to the community then um obviously that really traumatized William Burke and then I guess fueled his motives for uh what he does throughout the rest of the film. I will say I'm not even gonna lie like when it got to the end and he's the villain I was like oh skirt like you gotta do all this I was I so know. confused I was confused I was like I feel like that in like okay I don't know. I felt like he was doing a little too much. I was confused, but I think Alexis, you had explained it to me about like what his motive was for bringing the bringing the legend back. Obviously, like William Burke's character is really interesting and dynamic, and it, it you do have to piece together his his motive. But um, I think we can have a larger conversation about that and kind of analyze that um, a little bit later once we kind of work out more of the plot um and maybe like talk about like I know Celine you brought up themes of like storytelling and I know like that is something that I found to be a really big theme um in the film and I thought they did a really interesting job um 
of including this like whole storytelling folklore theme into the film. I, I'm curious about like your impressions of like their methods of incorporating that theme and um, just like what you thought about that or how you saw that um, play into the movie. I think there were two parts of the storytelling that I really enjoyed. So the initial like when they're at a party of like the siblings with Anthony, Mama's brother and his boyfriend and they're telling the original urban legend of Helen Lyle. So that's the plot of the original movie, right? Wrong. Okay. <laughs> so that is that, uh, the plot of the original movie is that Candyman is doing the killings and Candyman has this weird relationship. Or, with Helen. Know, with Helen. But um, Candyman and Helen end up, or I, I think Candyman like kidnaps this child and him and Helen end up in um, in the the fire, but Helen is actually not trying to kill the baby, but to save the baby. Save so she from ends up, yeah, she ends up dying because of um, the fire that. In, in so the, the story movie. that the mom tells is the story of the 1992 movie. Yes. Per. <laughs> was your hand up? You have a question. I'm having a. Th- yeah, like I can't. My my it's laggy, so I don't really know. Like I can't tell what's happening but um I'm having a thought right now about the storytelling thing right one thing that I believe is that oral storytelling is like a very important tradition within like black communities and I think that this is I don't know how present this is in like black American culture but I know outside of America it's like very important at least I know like in the Bahamas that that was something that we were taught about like Bahamian culture like African cultures and stuff that like that was just like the main method of telling stories and I think that actually came through a lot in this movie like even thinking about when they were when they were at um when like the gay brother and his boyfriend went to go to the sister's place and they were telling a scary story how Anthony's mom was telling him the story of like what happened to him or even just like the fact that the whole candy man tradition is literally just like this community telling like and like passing around this oral story to one another and for whatever reason they do that but like that is the way that they created this myth yeah the power of collective belief and how that like literally manifests like spirits or scary things that communities i think that's very cool and i can't i totally agree it's like the power of spoken word especially when it's like oral traditions where they're rooted in like these like deep historical and in this case, trauma and brutality um, enacted on Black people, like the power that that holds to like literally summon some kind of like spiritual entity um, that like transcends generations. Is, yeah. Like, I don't mess with that. Like <laughs> it's giving Obeya. Right. <laughs> I have a question though. So when Anthony initially, so after he, Anthony hears the story of um, Helen Lyle and all that stuff at that party or whatever, he's immediately inspired to be like, okay, this is, might be inspiration for my new RPs, right? So he goes to the projects and he's taking pictures, being where he's not supposed to be, and he gets stung by a bee, right? And this to me was t- like, to me, the most unrealistic part of the movie because he gets stung by a bee and his hand literally begins to rot off and he does not do anything about it. no neosporin no hydrogen peroxide no let me call somebody and see what's going on like his hand is literally falling off and he's like well i'm just doing my painting and that's it like i don't know what do you think about that part 
I did think that was weird. I feel like that could have been um, a little bit more convincing or, or I don't know. I, I think they, that could have been handled differently. A part of me like wants to say that like at the end of the day, right? Um, um, what's his name? Anthony's character is basically almost destined. He's already chosen. It's like this preordain, preordained fate that Anthony is somehow going to have this relationship to Candyman. And so I think on one, in like the physical sense, it's like, dude, your hand is literally rotting and you're picking at it. But also like you see him kind of like deteriorate into this other form. And that to me makes me feel like there's more at play than the physical. And right. so maybe the fact that he ignored uh, his like progressively rotting hand i like that it was pretty much that um may be kind of a, a symbol for his mental or even like spiritual deterioration right so like the whole movie we're just watching like a decline in his mental state yes okay bad bad so maybe like, that's just like a physical mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I was like progression of it and i do get that it had to be put off so that he him going to the hospital was kind of a later thing I think the the symbol idea, like the the physical representing the mental, makes a lot of sense because I think like the full like the peak of his mental like deterioration for me didn't really kick in until Burke had him like tied up in that um like underground bunker vibe, like you know where he had him. Like mm-hmm. at that point, his body was like fully, fully, fully rotten. But I think like yeah that was what you could see and like we knew that something was going on with him mentally but mm-hmm. I think that was the mental stuff was easier for him to like pretend like it's not happening but the the physical thing was like okay we we all can see that your hand is rotting right now but you're trying to hide it from other people but like you know we all know that's like this is building up to something but for me that scene where he had him tied up in that like church was really like okay this is like shit is really about to go down like something is really wrong with this man but I also think a a part of me at the beginning thought that he I don't know what y'all think about this but I feel like to an extent he kind of wanted like wanted something to happen to him he knew about the Candyman thing and then he went there and like went walking in the neighborhood and like wanted to learn more about it and he was like you know and then decided to do a whole art gallery about it and then he even like literally said Candyman five times in the mirror like you know I think because like Alexis was saying like that was his destiny maybe there was just something in him that like it just needed to be like turned on and I think that telling of the urban legend at the party was the thing that like ignited the I don't know because like they never really like obviously there's a connection between the two because like Candyman when it's revealed by Anthony's mom that he was the baby that was supposed to be put into the fire. I, I feel like that part was never really explained fully, at least, or I didn't fully grasp it. But I think because of that, whatever connection that they do have, like you were saying, Alexis, no matter what he did, I think he would have ended up where he did. I definitely think that could have been fleshed out a little better as well. Um, but I guess it's just my impression that Anthony was like pretty much Candyman's like chosen son. Like, I think he was designated as an heir of sorts or there there was some type of connection that was made there and so yeah I think while that needed to be explained a little bit better I do think that once 
that kind of that myth like like you said activated him there was something else in there that was like causing him to act in a certain way and, and causing like leading to his to his I guess fate okay I will say this to wrap your point though Anthony finally takes his decomposing arm to the hospital the nurse is like welcome back and he's like ah, I was not born here um, I was born you know xyz and she was like mm, no girl you were born here in this hospital so now he's like oh like I'm confused. So then he goes to find his mom, who he does not speak to. And I'm like, okay, sus. Because why don't you talk to your mom? Goes to find his mom to be like, you know, you, you need to tell me what's going on because I now know that I wasn't born where you said that I was born. So then she then proceeds to tell him the Candyman myth. She even refuses to say the name because, like Alexis said, Helen Lyle wasn't trying to kill the baby. She, they were saving the baby who is we know now is anthony from the fire and anthony's mom didn't tell him about it because she was trying to protect him from that life yes which do, okay how do you feel about that was she protecting him or should she have told him so that he knew already i think like more so even than just like protecting him is to not reactivate the 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 legend right the monster so i think i mean it's tough because also i think it's a really cool like thing they did where they recast the the actor that played her in the first movie but just like having that experience and this being your child and like for your child to be the one chosen by Candyman, i think not saying his name and not even giving giving energy to this myth because obviously he fuels off of um of people saying his name, recognizing him, acknowledging that he exists. So in kind of like ignoring and erasing him, it is like taking away his power. And so I think that makes sense to me, but um, you know, you can't really stop the inevitable, right? Like it's nothing you can do, but I mean, she kept him alive for this long. So I feel like, you know, you can't blame her too much. She really did her best. And that man really risked it all for some art. I'm just saying. Anthony finally um, goes to the hospital after his arm is falling off. He goes back to the hospital and the nurse is like, welcome back. And he's like, what do you mean welcome back? I, I, I you know, I'm not from here. I'm from XYZ. And she's like, no, you were born here in this hospital. And he suddenly has this, re- this revelation like, okay, somebody has to be lying. So... So he goes and seeks out his mom, who finally tells him like the real story of Candyman and what happened. And it's revealed that the baby that was told in the original urban legend at the beginning of the movie, Anthony is the baby. So what do you guys think of this reveal? Honestly, I was quite shocked. Like, I feel like maybe I could have seen I, I should have seen it coming, but I was pretty shocked to find out that he was the baby that was put into the fire. I did not expect that at all. And I think I could feel um I, I think in this moment, Yaya's acting was like really, really good, like very captivating to me. Like I could really feel his shock and like how that really like that I felt like that really broke him down and really got to him and he was really like, well, motherfucker, like all this whole time. 
I could have known, you know, what was coming to me if you had just told me the truth. And like, I've been going through all this shit and like, I've just been destined to be Candyman my whole life. And you knew this and didn't tell me. Um, so I, I honestly think I was really shocked. I think the mother's like delivery in this scene was also really good. I love the part where she was like, like where she kind of stopped him and was like, oh no, like don't say that name. Like we don't say that. That part was so not, like so cool to me. Sorry, but like I I I like the way that he like they didn't have much of a conversation about it, but it was like her telling him this story and then he kind of just like walked out and then it was like oh my god what is he gonna do like is he about to go crazy like I thought he was about to go apeshit honestly after at that point because I thought he was just like well this is the end of my life like I'm about to turn into Candyman like there's nothing I can do at this point this is just my fate and I've I've realized it so I think at that point that was like the kind of the the climax for me of um like settling into his role I guess as like Candyman. I think it was a really interesting reveal. Um, it makes sense, I think, uh, that there is that connection. Also, again, just roping it into the first movie. But I wonder, and again, this is just based off like videos that I've seen since I haven't seen the first movie yet. But I wonder though, I'm, I'm like, I'm reluctant to believe that like the mom knew that he was going to be Candyman, right? Because in the first film or before there, there weren't, or at least there didn't seem to be an awareness that Candyman could be um, so many different people. So I think it's reasonable for her to not have assumed that he was necessarily going to turn into Candyman. But I think that she, in not saying his name or not telling him that story, was trying to protect him from what, whatever fate uh, Candyman had for him. And I think it honestly would have been effective if he would have, if Anthony would have never heard of Candyman, because then he obviously would not have come back um or, or this whole thing wouldn't have been sparked if that legend stayed dormant um so I kind of like I guess don't blame the mom for that but I do think it was really interesting to see it all start to make a little bit more sense why it was Anthony that was chosen or why he was so uh connected to the story and why he was chasing it so um so per uh persistently yeah once they were at the hospital and the nurse was like welcome back and I realized where we were I said I figured it out I know what's happening like generally like at, at that point I was like okay Anthony's the baby let's go what's what's gonna happen next I think what happened next is kind of where like the oral tradition or like the storytelling kind of takes a turn because what we know of William Burke and like his his version of the story he kind of does, he left out purposely the fact that his sisters were killed by Candyman. So that like, the absence of that, like very important aspect, I feel like maybe would have prevented Anthony from like, I don't know, that would have definitely changed the perspective of like who this person was. You know, what also is something we didn't really touch on was the fact that it's Brianna's dad died. But I did wonder like what connected Brianna to to this story as well you know and somebody said something about it I don't remember who it was but obviously like you know you have your father who is this artist that kind of loses his mind and dies and you have this boyfriend who somehow is also losing his mind and dying um why is it her that's connected to this story and I hope that there maybe is like some type of like 
sequel or even maybe even like a prequel or something that kind of about like her goes more into Brianna's story because it is interesting that it's her that's chosen to be the witness and it's her that is wrapped up in all of this when she doesn't seem to be connected in any other significant way that we know of yet I think the connection has to be her dad because her dad's story of being that artist is so similar to the original story of the man who was lynched an artist who fell in love with a white woman but I that definitely would be like a good in to doing like some kind of prequel yeah because I even found it interesting that like not only did she witness her father's death she's also the one that found the bodies in the um in the where were they like whatever the art exhibit, exhibit where yeah so she's the one that finds those bodies and she's the one that you know kills William and, and watches um Anthony die like with her like witnessing so much death I do wonder if there is something going on with her like spiritually that's drawing her to all of this like trauma but also I mean we could talk about the implications of her being a black woman and having to experience and carry this much trauma and the fact that she's somehow still supposed to you know carry like carry out this legend or to to tell the story or to be the survivor which is a which is a weight of its own but I think that's also a really interesting choice um especially with her being the only like I would say like main like main character that's a black woman like why is it her that has to witness and hold this much trauma and continue to despite the death of all these men in her life continue to survive I don't know so in horror movies before Alicia says what she says there's a trope called like the final girl so in slasher films there's like the the last person who's alive and like has that confrontation and usually they die it's like a theory about it and Basically, it suggests that in these films, the viewer then begins to share the perspective of the killer, but you experience a shift in identification to the woman halfway through the film. So we're focused on Anthony throughout the whole thing, but once Anthony disappears, we're then seeing through the lens of Brianna. So, Mm -hmm. like, maybe there's something to say about, like, Anthony's mom holding the truth to the his story and now mm-hmm. Anthony's girlfriend having the truth to how he died and I guess mm-hmm. the end of his story in that way, Alicia. Yeah, I was just going to say my thought was all, um, like what Alexis was saying about, but about the end where the all the phases of, like she witnesses all of the phases of Candyman and then she is told to tell everyone. And like what that may mean also with, like you said, like her having to carry this burden, but then now her having to carry this responsibility of, I, I don't know if it's a responsibility, but like having to, I guess, warn people, like warn the community or like, was it told her as like, warn everybody that I'm coming or was it like, just let everybody know that Candyman is back kind of thing? Like, is she supposed to be the one who is like protecting the community or like telling them like, I've seen Candyman and he's coming how did y'all interpret that message, I guess? I, yeah, I think it's, like, really bad for a reason. What he says is tell everyone. So, like, what does that mean? Because also, I think, Selene, you made an interesting connection to his mother. Because in the in the original film, to my understanding, you know, it's his mother. They're part of this decision to to dead the, the, the legend, right? Like, no, we're not going to say his name. They pay their respects to Helen, but they are, like, not on the side of Candyman and don't have 
this relationship to him, but what does it mean for Tiana to have a different understanding of the history and have a personal connection to Anthony and to see all of this unfold and be the witness? Um, is it her responsibility to protect, um, protect people to continue the legend so that Candyman stays alive? Is she supposed to be in some type of cahoots with Candyman in some weird spiritual way? Is she supposed to like, what is her role? And again, I think it is a burden placed on her to figure out how to interpret, tell everyone whether she, like how she wants to navigate that. But I think the legend is already alive. It's just uh, on her to continue to, you know, shed light to the story and to the real men that make up the story and to all these things. But again, what does it mean for her to be um, a black woman having to do the work of I guess clarifying or continuing whatever the legacy of these men that's a good point she does then occupy the same space as Anthony's mother she gets to decide whether or not like this is something that continues and like maybe she decides yeah let's continue it because that's my that's my man so how else am I supposed to see him um (laughs) yeah I think it is different because I mean if any if in any other case Whoever it is says Candyman, but I also think in the original film, Helen um, summons Candyman and he doesn't kill her in the same way. But what what does it mean that she has this personal connection to Candyman? Like, I don't know. I don't know that the film, you know, gives you any clues into that. And obviously in the whole Candyman uh, resurrection, there has to be a witness. There has to be somebody to um carry or to 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 spread the word but so maybe you know her or maybe the fact that Candyman doesn't kill her has more to do with her role as the witness more so than his personal connection to her because again if you think of Candyman as not just Anthony but the whole hive of men that make up this legacy you know maybe you can't really lean too much into that like interpersonal relationship that she had with Anthony specifically yeah, because I was thinking like, oh yeah, that's Aunt, that's Anthony's girlfriend, so he's not gonna kill her. But I think it is more of the like final girl trope where it's like someone has to be alive to tell the story. Vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. So on the theme of storytelling, I guess I I'm interested in talking more about um, the the whole idea of the shadow puppets as a means of storytelling, and I think they use uh, the shadow puppets a lot to. Um, share the history and flashbacks and, and and the stories that we don't actually see in present time what did you think about um the shadow puppets as like a method of storytelling or, also before, you, know, you were saying that like it was an actual um like place like people artists doing it yeah so i learned that there was actually like a company i think based in chicago that actually do or that do shadow puppetry i guess um and they actually uh created the the scenes like with their actual hands like that it's real it wasn't just i guess i thought maybe they just did it on a computer or something but no that's actually like recorded um shadow puppets which i think is also really cool but i think even that the fact that that is a thing that they really did and that the hands are actual hands and that you see i think um the the way Nia DaCosta describes it is that the hands represent the person behind the story. The, somebody's telling this story. It's not, stories are, are 
more so what people the things that people tell and so the stories change based on who's telling them or whose hands they are or whatever the case may be but I think having that be like a further symbol of storytelling and of like narration and of the way that you know stories even come to be I think is a really interesting choice and I'm curious to see like what you all thought about that I think the biggest thought that I'm having about it right now is that like the puppet the shadow puppet work made a lot of it seem real to me I don't know like because you can't because it's not people and because it's puppets like I think a lot of what is shown in the puppets like is like dehumanizing the story that they're telling but not necessarily in a bad way like I think it makes it seem more like a lot like a fictional story especially when they're talking about like the past like the thing with Helen it like kind of amps it up a bit more as like this mythical like this myth or like this legend which I I guess and I a part of a lot of it is that it's like a legend within this community but it's almost as if you're like you could read it in a book or it's like a children's book that they're like demonstrating um not demonstrating but like you know acting out with these puppets but I I really like what what you said Alexis earlier about like how a lot of the violence is shown with the puppets and I think that that was like really impactful yeah I think it's a good choice because no I agree Alicia because the decision to use the puppets as opposed to um like the actors or something like that I think is like Alexis said is deliberate because I think there are in my opinion bad ways to tell stories about black trauma where it's just unnecessarily violent like, we know what it is to be lynched. We don't need to see it. Um, and so- sometimes it can just be seen as, I don't know. I think creating a fictional version of it allows a lot of liberties to be taken and creativity that I think isn't really needed for something as serious as lynching. Like, even this lynching is a fictional lynching. So it's not something that needs to be created and enacted on real life humans in my opinion so like for example when I think of like what I think to be bad um, ways to tell of like black trauma and violence on black bodies was when I watched the Underground Railroad people really heralded that series but I found it so hard to watch because I was like they created these scenarios and made them amped it up to maybe I'm sure it was just as bad but to like it seems as if there was a creative liberties taken on how can we torture these black people and then they like showed it to us and I was just like this is not something that black people need to be watching or anybody needs to be watching because then you make it real for people to possibly take and do in the real world and I think that's I don't know I think that's a little like irresponsible I just had a thought like it's not related to what you said but I think that the um it's interesting that you can almost look at the shadow puppets as like characters of their own if that makes sense, because I, I don't think that the Helen woman that they like showed, did they show her like person in the movie or mm. was it just her through the puppets? They showed her through right? the Right, and then like, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like, 
I, I've never seen that before, like as a way to introduce a character in, in a movie. Like I've never seen that period, but I think that was really interesting. Like we, we hear about this Helen person, but then like we can attach her to this puppet and her puppet to me kind of looked scary. Like, I think she had like this witchy looking nose. Like, I don't, I don't know. But then even like the, the different forms of Candyman that they showed in the puppets that maybe we didn't see like as a person, I think that's also a really like creative way to um, like further the story. I, I really like that. Um, yeah, I also agree that that was a really creative choice uh, for, for several reasons. I have a lot of thoughts about this. I think the first thing is that I, I watched the interview where Nia DaCosta was talking about how she wasn't really wanting to uh, do too many flashbacks or, or take clips from the original movie. And by doing um the the shadow puppets you're able to do several things one again evoking this idea of a story and i think obviously these are fictional stories in the film some of them based on real things and i'll touch on that a little bit later but i think having that extra element of like this is a story allows for that kind of like movement and creativity so if you think about the first time we're hearing about helen and seeing the the puppets um they're being told by the story is being told by brianna's brother and we later learned that that's not the truth right but in the original telling or the in the first telling of the story rather and when we're seeing the shadow puppets it does appear that helen is scary and helen looks like a witch and she looks evil and she's doing this terrible thing um and so like having the the liberty to do that without having to have a physical person i think allows for a lot of that flexibility so that later when we see characters in a different way, we can kind of like have something to like compare it to. But also I think because it is a horror film, the the puppets do add that kind of like scary, creepy element of horror um, that I think is again, really creative. But another thing that um, I think it kind of going back to Celine's point about like seeing like very uh, literal de depictions of, you know, um, these like super traumatic things that happen to black people. I think this is why it's important to have st storytellers who are black themselves and understand the sense, like have a, a certain sensitivity to that. Because I think like we can hear about these things and they be so gruesome. Um, but even in our own society, like we can talk about police brutality, but then you have to be shown a video of somebody bleeding out in the street for that to somehow affect you. And, and I think that is the way it works for some people, but other people that happen to be Black have a much different experience and relationship to even hearing about trauma. So I think it's really, um, since like it was it was really well done that they they depicted such gruesome uh, stories by way of the shadow puppets. And I know there was one small detail that like functions as a really good example that Nia DaCosta talks about, which was um, one of the iterations of Candyman was a young boy. And this story traces to um, the youngest person that was executed in the United States. Um, and in the real story, I think the boy was like 12 or 14, but he was really small. And so he was getting, they put him in the electric chair, but because he was so small, he had to sit on a Bible um, in order to like, for the, in order for them to carry out the execution. And that is in the, in the shadow, the shadow puppet retelling of that in the movie, that detail is left out for the sake of not, you know, um, 
overdoing the details just for the sake of shock factor, right? Like we know that these things happen and we know that they're, they're gruesome and terrible and people don't need to be re-traumatized or triggered in order to tell a story. And I think the fact that they don't, like they can still address these traumas and still address this out, like this outrageous amount of violence without inflicting like harm <laughs> Um, on the viewers, I think it is really um, a really gracious move because we don't see that. I think often about like Queen and Slim, for example, like movies like that, even though like Lena Wraith is black, seeing movies where it's like, come on, like, why did you have to do that? It's like, why was this painful to watch? I can't even enjoy it because I'm, I'm in pain. I'm crying. I'm having this visceral reaction to this extreme violence. I think that is a real problem in Hollywood, especially as we move towards this whole like um, police brutality genre, whatever it is, black black death genre that this black death genre moment moment that we're in. I think there's so much of that, and I it's because of it. I really appreciate it. Um, the lack of that in this movie. I think a good way to wrap this up is just saying that Candyman and Nia DaCosta did a really incredible job of telling Black stories that aren't at the expense of Black people. Like, I didn't leave this feeling traumatized or like, who I need to go sit down. Just like Alexis said, like, after you leave these films, sometimes you just feel so emotionally drained and exhausted. And that's not what this was. This was entertaining. Not to say that Black trauma is entertaining in any way, but this was not an exploitation film of like no yeah of black people in any kind of way it was an honoring of like black storytelling like we've covered and tradition and all that stuff and culture and yeah i think it was really well done all right ladies so to wrap this up what would we all give candy man by nia da costa out of five stars alexis I would give it um, a four. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought the cinematography was great. I thought the storytelling was great. I thought she made really, really creative choices. I do think that there were some um, holes, some things that didn't quite uh, connect for me. Um, but I, I do appreciate movies that that you know give you something to think about um, and that are good and have like a good plot and good character development um also i always appreciate a 90 minute movie so yeah i give it a four i agree i give it a four as well because of a little bit of plot holes i'm also gonna give it a four i agree with you all that like there was some plot holes there were some things that i was like what the like what 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 just happened and i i don't really like that feeling um and i also think it ended a bit like abruptly for me I kind of left like at the end I was like that's it like I was expecting I don't know something something else to happen but I thought it was very well done so on that note we would like to thank you Alexis again for joining us on Wiggling Pod we love having you yes and thank you everyone for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Wiggle Link. We'd love to keep the conversation going on our pages. So feel free to reply on our Twitter and comment on our recent Instagram post. 
with your thoughts on Candyman. Follow us on our pages at WeGoLinkPod on Twitter and at WeGoLinkPodcast on Instagram to stay updated when we post new episodes. And we'll see you in two weeks. WeGoLink! Party, yeah.